Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Welcome to the Intercooler Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 182 of the Intercooler Podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. This week we're talking forbidden fruit, the cars that were never sold or that are not currently sold in the UK. There's some really interesting stuff that falls into that category. We've got big, heavy, very powerful American muscle cars, tax dodge special Italian supercars, um, tiny little K cars from Japan, all sorts of stuff, um, and a handful that we are not sad never came to the UK as well. But before we get started, I will just remind you all to subscribe or follow the podcast. So whatever app you're using, hit the little follow button or the subscribe button. It means you don't miss an episode and it also helps us out enormously. So please do consider doing that. Um, and thank you very much for listening. We're not just going to do the cars that we don't get or didn't get in the UK that we're sad about. I think we're going to do a few uh, less good cars that we are quite glad um, were never sold here. But before we get on to the main topic, a little bit of Bernie Eccleston, Andrew. <laughs> Sorry, why am I laughing? Uh, yeah. It's just an extraordinary story. You'd have thought that once you're retired from the business and you have, what's he, 92, I think? Yeah. Um, you kind of thought that the, Berg, the Bernie Eccleston story was kind of over now, having been, you know, sort of front and centre of the Formula One world for, well, I mean, half a century at least. Um, but no, no, he's popped up. Uh, he's, I mean, he quite clearly copped a plea, hasn't he? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, to avoid being dragged through the courts, and I think it was in everybody's interest that, um, well. <laughs> I'm sure it was decided that it was in everybody's interest um, that uh, he should just plead guilty. Um, do you mean, okay, so he has been found guilty of failing to declare 400 million quid, mm-hmm. which he should have declared. But he's also agreed to pay back 652 million pounds. Unbelievable. Which I think are tax arrears 
accumulated over the last 18 years. Um, and he's had a, he's been sentenced to go to prison for 17 months, but it's been suspended for two years, which means if he behaves himself for the next two years, he doesn't go to prison, which means he doesn't go to prison. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you could send him to life imprisonment and suspend it for two. I mean, it's in terms of the custodial bit, it's meaningless, mm -hmm. isn't it? Yeah. It's absolutely meaningless. So, yeah. So basically what has happened is he has been made to pay back what he owes mm. or a proportion of what he owes. And the astonishing thing is, is that he's looking down the barrel of a bill of nearly two-thirds of a billion quid. I don't think he's going to notice it. I do wonder. So what's he worth? Two or three billion? Two and, a, like two and, a, two and a half billion, they reckon. I just, but who knows? It's, well, but where is that money? You know, Is it liquid? Is it cash? Can he just do a wire, a bank transfer for that money? Or is it in property? And... I suspect they'll allow stage three payments. Yes, yes, I'm sure, over time. You know, <laughs> if, I mean, if it's 50 tied million up in funds. Here, 50 million. I mean, the, the numbers are just so... So, Ashton, and, and, and we laugh. I guess we laugh. Um, uh, and I suppose um, somebody, an altogether better person than me, would be thinking about what all that money could have bought in all that period of time that it wasn't paid over. And clearly, the ultimate intention was never to pay it. So, what he might have got away with. And, uh, but, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It is. I mean, I can't understand the numbers. No, they're, they're meaningless to us, aren't they? But th there will be a lot of people out there who maybe they did time for tax fraud or they know people who did for relatively meaningless amounts. Um, and perhaps they will feel they weren't offered the opportunity to plea bargain their way out of a custodial sentence. So I, I'm sure there yeah. are people out there who feel quite aggrieved at all this. I mean, there's a there's a book which was written by a bloke called Crispian Besley. I think it's called Driven to Crime. Um, I know Crispian a little bit, not much. Um, he, uh, he 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 races old cars, and I've bumped into him at a few tracks and that sort of thing. Um, but it, it's a book that's just got all these cases in it. Mm. I mean, absolutely, you know, going way back on both sides of the Atlantic, all around the world of people who have been involved in nefarious activity in the world of motor racing basically since the start of motor racing um and it's a really interesting read um but with all these things and i'm sure with this bernie thing now they the sense that they always leave me with is this is what is known mm. gosh yeah how much remains un and of course you can't yeah. know the unknown yeah. the unknowable can you but you always get the impression with, 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 with these guys that, that what you actually find out about is so utterly different and far removed from what the, the real whole truth is that you'll never get the full picture. Mm. You'll, never get, you know, you'll never get an understanding of what the nature of any deals made with the authorities or whatever or the real amounts of money uh, used or perhaps, you know, in other cases the amounts of money which weren't discovered and therefore weren't mm. paid back. I, I don't know. I don't know. But... Um, do you know what? There's a, I've got a, a sort of analogy here. I, whenever I watch, or certainly in recent years, the England rugby team, um, yeah. and they're constantly getting called out for violations in the scrum or the ruck or the mall, and their discipline just seems nowhere. And I just think to myself, why do they keep doing it? And I guess it's because most of the time they're getting away with it. Of course, because they wouldn't do it otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's so much nefarious stuff going on. 
Um, and a lot well, of the time, I mean, they get with it. I mean, you know, generally speaking, as crime as a whole, certainly in the UK, two percent of crimes result in a conviction. Is that the rough of the figure? Two percent. Yeah. So if you commit a crime, you have a one in fifty chance of being nicked for it, or certainly being convicted, convicted of it. One yeah. in fifty. Almost makes it seem worthwhile. So how much stuff has gone on which we don't know about? Yeah. I was, um, I was, as you know, I was at Rensport in uh, in America uh, the other day, and there was a car there which I'd never seen before, uh, which was the Porsche 935, which won Le Mans uh, in 1979. And you'll remember the race; it's the famous race because Paul Newman, aka Oscar-winning film star, Paul Newman was in the 935 that came second. But the one that won was driven by, well, Klaus Ludwig, um, who is an amazing professional racing driver, and the Whittington brothers, mm-hmm. Bill and Don Whittington. Mm. And these guys, what they got up to, I think one of them is still alive, so maybe have to be a little bit <laughs> careful. Um, but the, I mean, they were, they were major, major, major drug smugglers. Mm. Um, and there was all sorts of financial impropriety. Uh, and, I mean, just go and read about the Whittington brothers. I mean, and, and Randy Lanier, do you remember him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we we did um, a few months ago, maybe a couple of years ago. We did do an episode on motorsport and crime, didn't we? But there's, yeah. it's rife, and the world of fast cars, and particularly racing, does seem to attract a lot of these characters, or it has in the past. I think, I think, I think for a lot of these guys, a it's fun and it's glamorous and it's everything else. But I suspect it's also, and I'm not saying this in relation to anybody in particular, but I suspect it's also a really good place to to park or recycle dodgy money isn't mm. it yeah you can clean a lot of money in in racing i'm sure yeah and, oh. and, and, and there are and, and there are lots of expensive things you can buy if you just want to park money out for a bit mm. yeah, um, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, oh anyway <laughs> before we get ourselves into all the amounts of trouble yes yeah, so let's leave um, that there should we get talk about something did you see did you see bernie after he um accepted the plea bargain he was photographed buying donuts at borough market yeah well karoon sent something through yes but he then did. he's standing at a donut store <laughs> Didn't seem terribly, terribly bothered, did he? Anyway, um, so I mean, that that is so Bernie, isn't it? It really is. Yes, it's just brilliant. So excellent. Okay, the cars that we don't get or didn't get here in the UK. Um, Now there were lots and lots of reasons why certain cars don't make it into certain territories. There are sort of ledger to live things. Um, Emissions is a big one these days. Um, local markets just not feeling like there's a, a business case. Um, yeah. Some cars are not offered in right-hand drive, which is a problem. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a really significant one. Mm. Um, I mean, I won't be able to name them all by any means, but there aren't that many right-hand drive car markets in the world. There's the UK, there's Australia, there's Japan. Yeah, New Zealand. A few others, yeah, but not many. No. Um, and South yeah. Africa. So, you know, if you... If, South Africa, yeah. Um, and so if, you, if you're doing something quite low volume, I mean, engineering a car for right-hand drive is not the matter of a moment, and it ain't cheap. Mm. Um, and sometimes, as we know, the, for instance, the Lancia Delta Integrale was never made mm. in right-hand drive form. So they just sold it over here in left-hand drive form, which were clearly... So there are lots of cars which weren't made, but which did get sold over here anyway. And in Japan, um, having a... Left-hand drive car is a uh, a sort of bit of a badge of honour, isn't mm. it? Having the steering wheel on the wrong side of the car for some peculiar reason, I don't really understand. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and and then there are yeah, lots we, of cars that are just not well suited to yeah. the UK, little old UK. 
either very, very big cars or very, very small cars. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. We prefer them in the middle, don't we? Um, yeah. So, God, there are loads that we can get through across the ages as well. Um, I'm going to give you one just because, just because it's at the top of my list. Um, and it's a car that I know you don't particularly regard that fondly. I do. Alfa Romeo Giulia Quadrifoglio. Um, with the manual gearbox? Yeah, you can, you can get one with a manual gearbox. And I'd, I'd start yeah. with it because I have driven one. We had one on Evo Car of the Year one year. 2014, I think. Maybe a bit later. Maybe it was 16. Um, but, I was going to say, it hasn't been around that long, has it? No, I think it was 16 then. Um, it was dreadful. Dreadful. I hated it. It was a horrible, heavy, bulky, notchy shift. Like It felt like a truck gearbox it the clutch pedal weighting was horrible the pedal spacing was weird um I just i just hated driving i thought it totally ruined the car the auto was so much better um and mm. so you know we often we moan about not getting a manual option particularly in a performance car yeah. not always a good thing okay so here's another example of exactly that um but i've always wondered you could buy a manual E60 M5 mm. in the US. Mm. Yeah. Um, and I've heard that that's not a great gearbox, but even so, it would have to be pretty rubbish. <laughs> well, particularly given that the, the, the paddle shift gearbox in that, in, yeah, in, in that car was uh, not exactly ideal, to put it mildly. Um, and I think any kind of uh, stick shifter in that, with that engine, I mean, that would have been quite an event, wouldn't it? I guess so. I do remember hearing that it's not a very good gearbox. Maybe the ratios don't aren't care. great. But don't care. Yeah, yeah I kind of get it, that. You, you just want to try it, it, don't you? It's a manual V10. <laughs> Saloon yeah. car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Saloon car. Just because this is on topic. You can, in certain markets, you can buy manual versions of the current M3 and M4. The trouble is, they're the basic ones, the non-competition models. Yeah. Here, here in the UK, we only get competition cars. Um, yeah. So there's some spreadsheet wizard in Farnborough who has looked at it and gone, "There's no point bringing the basic models in because people just want the competition, um, the competition versions. So we're not going to bring and them you, in. Uh, and, and you can't get a manual with the comps. No, no, you can't. Exactly. So for decades, ever since the the very first the E30 M3, you've been able to buy a manual M3, but. For a purely commercial reason, now here in the UK, the manual M3 and the M4 no longer a thing. Um, it, am I yeah, and, concerned and, and about also, that? You know, those lower pa- the lower-powered versions of that S58 engine, I mean, they're not exactly shonky, are they? No. no. no I not. mean, you know, you think of the engine in your, in your M2. It's an absolutely cracking unit, yeah. and that's probably got lower power than a standard M3 mm. or M4. Mm. And you can get that with a manual gearbox. I mean, to me, it's just another reason to go and buy an M2 Comp, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. It, the The manual cars are 25 kilograms lighter than the auto, the eight-speed auto um, cars that we do get, which is something. So I'd, actually, I'd quite like to try one of those, an M3 or an M4, and just see if a simpler, slightly more old-school car is more fun to drive. I agree with you, but I've no doubt at all BMW are right. 
Uh, because yeah. those cars, then, you know, they yeah. just sell on the numbers, don't they? Yeah. They sell on the power and the 0 to 60 and everything else, both of which are, if you have less power in a manual gearbox, that's going to really affect you mm. on paper performance. And you don't want to, I mean, I can't really believe I'm saying this, but you don't want to be the one that's in the car that doesn't get under force. I mean, it, <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's what appears to, for some reason, I will never understand it, yeah. appears to be what's important. Well, and also, once you've spec'd a car, put your deposit down, signed up to a PCP, it's probably not that much more to upgrade to the competition and the vast majority of buyers the vast majority yep. of buyers would have done that and so it is yep. much simpler for bmw uk just to bring in the competition versions makes sense agreed yeah right go on then uh where would you where could we go um i was in america i don't know year two years maybe two years ago and i drove A Shelby Mustang 500 GT, which mm. is the Mustang with a 750 horsepower, 5.4 litre supercharged engine. Blimey. I'm not saying <laughs> it should go on sale over I'm not certainly not saying that they really maybe even sell it. I just, it just... I just thought it would be the ultimate sort of blunt instrument and it would end up really quite annoying me. But it didn't. Mm. And I'm sure it's an environmental thing because I was driving it in some fairly wide open spaces. But... I did think it was pretty amazing. Um, and I love the idea that cars like that, um, which are so true to the original values of the muscle car, as the original pony car was the Mustang when it came out in 64, mm. uh, I think. And just let's just see how much power. And, you know, and things like Dodge Hellcats and all these sorts of things, you yeah. can't buy over here. Yeah, well, actually, um, I was going to say that there's a load of them. There's things like the... Chevrolet Camaro ZL1, the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing, and yeah, the Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye. Oh, the Red Eye, that's the big one, isn't yeah. it? That's the one with nearly 800 horsepower. So isn't there it? are tons of these, the yeah. sort of proper Detroit Iron US muscle type things with massive you power, you, seven, you can... almost 800 horsepower sometimes. And, yeah, they're, you kind of, and they're cheap. You kind of get the impression, don't you, that they're, yeah, and, and there's this sense, isn't it, that we're all sort of drinking in the last chance of yeah. We all know that it's the game's up and so yeah. we're all just getting plastered before it is and yeah i i suspect if you had one of those on our sort of our beloved welsh mountain roads it mm. would be compromised. <laughs> if it was a bit wet it would be compromised <laughs> uh, to say the least but um when i drive this that's okay so there's another one uh, and this is going back a bit the original zr1 corvette so this would have been the c4 corvette so this would have come out in 88 89 this is the one that lotus worked on oh. did the um four cam 32 valve heads for the um for the lt1 small block engine gave it i think by uh, sort of 400 horsepower and you could and you could turn half the valves off it has a switch in it mm. so oh, if, really? kid, if you're gonna be if you're stupid enough to let your kid go out and have a go in it <laughs> you could go out in a 16 valve and then when you came home you could have all 32 wow um yeah and it was the thing about that car was um, and actually going to its launch, which was uh, Miraval, the Goodyear test track in the south of France, it was one of the first launches I went on. Um, it was the first American car I'd driven that really, really handled. Mm. Because you just think to yourself, well, these cars, they're all, they've got big V8s and they make lots of noise and they're cool and they go really fast, but come on, they're not real driving machines. This was. Mm. You could, it would drift and drift and drift <laughs> and it was precise and it was accurate. I mean, the interior was absolutely appalling. Um, but it was a really, it was a proper driver's car. Mm. It really was. Um, and 
Yeah, that never came over here. But yeah, original C4 ZR1 Corvette cracking car. So that yeah, that's another good example. There's so many of these US cars that look yeah. on paper just tantalizing. Um, and when yeah, you I, do, I, they're cheap in the US, but when you do the, the conversion to um, sterling, it's unbelievable. So the CT5V Blackwing, 668 horsepower, it's equal to 62,000 pounds. My BMW M2 that I've got outside is 65 grand before options. It's got 450 yeah. horsepower. It's unbelievable. Okay. All right. So let us say, yeah, I mean, but, yeah, okay, but that's presumably just a straight conversion. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Price. So you're not going to yeah, buy so, one. So you haven't, got it, you haven't got it back here or no, put no. it through SVO or anything else. Um, but, but, okay, but let us just say they were the same price. Mm. Um, <laughs> and yes. you had the two manufacturers competing for your attention mm. and saying, come on, Dan, you know, you know, have a black wing or you know, somebody else saying, you know, have an M2 comp for the next six months. You still have an into comp parked outside, wouldn't you? For for here, yeah, for the UK, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I'm, and that's the point. I'm, However amused yeah. you might be by the idea of a six hundred and sixty eight horsepower nutter from over there, mm. um, for here for these roads, if you lived in America, yeah, different matter. Probably, and I was about to say because petrol's so cheap over there, but when I was over there in in California the week before last, actually petrol's not cheap at all anymore. Yeah, but it, what is it getting close to our prices, or is it? Yes, it absolutely is. It? Yes, it absolutely, yeah. And I remember, I'm so bloody old, I can remember when it was 99 cents a gallon. And okay, a gallon. So that's a US gallon. It's, yeah, a gallon. So that's, only, so that's 99 cents per US gallon, which is only 85% of one of my gallons. But it still works out at about you know, £1.15 for a proper gallon. Yeah. Yeah. That is unbelievable. It's not unbelievably cheap. And that, and, and that, and that was when, that was at the time, that was like sort of a third of the price. It was probably three quid, quid a gallon over here then at the same time. Now it's like seven or eight. Mm. Yeah, so that is changing for them. But yeah, I, I have driven a lot of imported muscle cars from the US in the UK. Um, even just a fairly basic V8 Camaro a few years ago. Um, and, it, you know, manual gearbox and it had that big V8. And it is super characterful. And I mm. think they look cool. But they, on our tiny, nudgy, little bumpy roads... They are compromised, and they are quite like hard work. So I did a. Okay, no, so th- th- this is slightly off topic because um, I'm talking about a car which was on sale over here. Um, but I did a twin test when I was running a Focus ST um, a couple of years back. I did a twin test with that and a Bullet Mustang mm. in Wales. Focus killed it. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Focus absolutely killed it. I mean, you know, okay, absolutely in pure straight line terms, probably not, but in every other way. Mm. In, and it was so much quicker point to point, despite its mm. lack of, you know, because it was so much more agile and nimble and easy and, um, and and actually fun. I mean, I love the way the bullet looked and I love the way it sounded. And if, you know, if you're driving it at six tenths and you're just rumbling along, it's it, it's it's wonderful. But actually... If you want to drive these things, you know, fast, mm. yeah. I actually really like the bullet, but I totally understand why a, a good Focus hot hatch would just blitz it down a tricky road. Yeah. On the subject of American muscle, um, yeah. Chevy Camaro, must get this right, Z28. Um, mm. So this is the one that was first shown in 2013, but it was 2015 by the time we got one at Evo Car of the Year. Um, on the North Coast 500, it was a brilliant week, actually, that one. So we travelled all around the north of Scotland with some amazing cars. And this Z28, 
goodness me, we borrowed it off an owner who had just imported it. Um, we were all just terrified of it because it. <laughs> Is this a thing with a three hundred five section front yeah, tire? Enormous front tires, aren't yeah, just yeah, yeah. so huge. Yeah, um, and so. I mean, it tramlines anyway. It's got all that rubber on the road at the front axle, and it does hunt out grooves and ruts in the road. And there are a lot of those on those brilliant roads up there. But the other issue was that the tyre pressures, and we only realised this later on, the tyre pressures were all wrong on that car. It had been sat on a boat for weeks. Um, and so it, that tramlining tendency was amplified massively. And so you'd just be driving along the straight line, You'd change gear, and all of a sudden, you were halfway into the other lane, and you didn't know why. Bleh. So everyone was just spooked yeah, no by thanks. that car. Um, but then I, our mate Chris Harris had one for a while, and I borrowed his for a video two or three years ago, three, four years ago probably, um, and drove that in South Wales. Um, tire pressures were fine. I'm sure the car was better as well. And it was brilliant. I loved it. Oh, do, do you know what? I drove that. I drove Chris's. He came out when we were doing some race in Belgium together mm. um, probably four or five years ago. He came out in that car. Um, and it's fair to say that the journey from where we were staying into the track was usually accomplished at a reasonably <laughs> um, <laughs> <Go on. laughs> energetic rate. Um, and I can remember, actually, I can I remember exactly when it was. It was, we'd been, we'd done quali. And the problem with that particular event is that you have to do night qualifying. Uh, there's a particular restaurant we like eating in um, and we were worried they were going to give the table away so we were in a proper hurry and I and I just got on this thing and legged it off up uh, and it was I was really impressed by it mm. yeah really good fun I re- yeah really I mean it's, it's all about the environment isn't it yeah. but in the you know in wide open spaces when you're in a hurry and you're on a sort of Belgian motorway and you're on, on the right um, side as well and you're on the correct side um, it was uh, yeah it was absolutely it was mega mm. phenomenal weapon. engine Good gear shift yeah. as well. Just yeah, really enjoyable and just so different to a, a typically modern European sports car that's all about you know precision and um, turbo torque and paddle shift and all that stuff. It was just it was refreshing. Um, go on then, let's have another of yours. Can I go completely the other way? Yes, you can. And this will, this will be. A, I think this is one of the best designed cars that there has ever been you will never have driven one mm-hmm. um but in its own very particular way when this thing came out it completely knocked us out um and yeah so much so that autocar bought one even though it wasn't sold in the in the uk and we had it for years and it was amazing the original renault twingo <laughs> wow you still yes. see them knocking about in parts of France, don't you? You still see them knocking. I mean, they were just. It was almost. A, it, it was one of those kind of like sort of you know, mini moments. You know, a car just comes along and it just seems to be able to do something with its space, mm. which doesn't correlate at all to, you know, what to what you're looking at. It was such a clever car. It was. It was such a small car, but there was so much space in it. And it was just it, it was just really really nice thing to to knock about, and it probably had I don't know one point. I don't think it would have had a one point four in it. Probably had a one point one. Might have had a one point something. I mean, it's some very very small engine. Um, but we did huge mileages. I remember Steve Sutcliffe drove it to Northern Italy and back. <laughs> wow. Um, and it's just 
and we just couldn't understand i think well that's not true actually i think we we understood absolutely why it wasn't sold in the uk it wasn't sold in the uk because Renault got it wrong um they thought it was just some sort of little niche car it was something that they could i think it was basically it was the idea was it to was to for it to kind of replace the um the lowly entry-level Renault 5 Clio type cars uh, and it wouldn't sell very many but what it would do it would get people on the Renault mm-hmm. sort of ladder yeah. and then maybe they come back and buy you know a dozen more Renaults after that and they didn't ever think it would do big numbers but of course it was rapturously received but mm-hmm. by which stage the car was tooled up ready for production and could never be made in right-hand drive because it wasn't I don't think it was made as a symmetrical car so they just couldn't do it um but yeah, I mean, every time I think it's it's just silly actually because you know people will say, well, it's just some little French shitbox. But every time <laughs> I think of that car, um, and I'm looking back, you know, thirty years now, it was it was absolutely cracking. It was just one of those really imaginative, innovative, light, well designed, well thought out little French cars. Mm which we love so much. And we always talk about Renault 4s and Renault 5s and 2CVs and 205s. Uh, and because they were never sold over here, the Twingo never gets in on that kind of conversation. No. But it should. Mm. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, well, I'm going a, a totally different direction. <laughs> Toyota Century. <laughs> Do you really? Oh, no, we're, 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 no, we're just talking about cars which weren't sold over here, whether we wanted them to be or not. <laughs> the Japanese Rolls-Royce. Actually, Sell the century to it, me. It sort of looks a bit like a Rolls Royce, but it's more like an S class, isn't it, in terms of price and size? Um, yeah. So this is the sort of Japanese plutocratic luxury saloon thing that I think it's only really sold in Japan in very small numbers, and it's really just for Japanese businessmen to be driven around Tokyo and wherever else. Um, they used to be V12. Uh, you can no longer get a V12. They they're V8 hybrid these days. Um, oh dear. But they are. Oh dear. Oh dear. I mean, it's just, you know. But they are. Why are we having this conversation? But they are just built to be driven in. And I suspect when you are riding in the back of one, maybe taking phone calls or whatever else, I'm sure it's lovely. And the earlier ones, they had a, a panel in the passenger seat, the front passenger seat, that would fold down so that the rear seat passenger could put their legs through. Sorry? Yeah. There was a hole in the front passenger seat? Yeah. A flap that would come down, and then it becomes a footstool for the rear seat passenger. And then the driver well, you, has I, to I, deal with your smelly feet next to I was going to say, so, so, so your, your poor sod of a chauffeur, <laughs> not content with having to you know, spend his life ferrying you around the place, yeah. you know, then has to put up with your, <laughs> with your honking socks on the seat next to him. <laughs> wow. And they that have these joy. white, sort of frilly, doily c- curtains, and just... Totally oh yeah, bizarre. but you get you, you you get those. You you can't get into um, you can't get into a minivan anywhere in the Far oh, East or in true. Africa or anywhere yeah. like that without without white, white doily curtains. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's true. So yeah, Toyota Century. I'm not sure I really miss those cars not being sold over that, here in the UK, but quite well, interesting. I, that, yeah, but but if somebody got one over here, maybe someone does. You'd want to have a go. Yeah, yeah, you? you would. Yeah, you'd, you'd want to be driven in it. No question, just to see. <laughs> yes weird um, thing oh, well can I do another Toyota I'm, I'm, I'm not even going to give it a name because it has so many different names and it's a Toyota in some countries and it's an uh, and it's a Lexus in others and it's and it's an Amazon and it's a, this, a, but it, it is what you and I would recognise as the Toyota Land Cruiser Amazon mm. so the big Land Cruiser the, the Land Cruiser that 
doesn't get made, doesn't get sold over here. You know, so they do a standard Land Cruiser, mm. which is a, a pretty, it's a very traditional, conventionally proportioned seven seat SUV, and then they did this big one, uh, which they sold over here for years and years and years. And the last one was a V eight diesel. Mm. It's mm. an absolutely brilliant car. In fact, a mate of mine's got one, uh, which he will not sell. Um, but they still make it, and they still sell it. And I was reminded of it because I was in one um, for actually very early. Was it early this year? It was early this year. When's the Dakar? It is early, yeah, mm. it's January, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So I was in one in Saudi um, early this year, um, roaming around the desert trying to keep up with the Dakar rally. And the thing about these cars is they have a sense of indestructibility that you just don't get in any other car mm. um you know i know someone who's a mechanic and has looked under them and said basically they're built like lorries <laughs> and they are so robust yeah and like I mean, to me they've always had this charm i also think they're extremely cool so when i mm. go to race meetings um and all the cars are being turned up or turning up being towed by newish range rovers and you know KNs and and yeah and i I don't look at any of those and then the bloke in the ratty 20 year old amazon turns up Mm. and i think yeah okay so that's proper that's someone who understands what matters in life and yeah and they are proper is the word they are so immensely proper um and yeah I've, i've i've i always have um, loved them and I thought, I thought it was such a shame that they just stopped selling them in the UK it's what you choose for the apocalypse isn't it yeah for the end times you'd want to be in, a, in, in an Amazon yeah or just lost in the middle of a desert mm. yeah. and, and you need something which is going to keep going and, and what we put these things through in the desert and we were leaping them off jeans <laughs> and smashing them about and all bit sorts of things fell off them but you know they never looked <laughs> like stopping yeah wow um, yeah mega things um, okay so kind of similar in the US I think they probably call them SUVs but goodness me I think there's something else things like the Cadillac Escalade and the Chevrolet Suburban those oh, yeah. enormous 4x4 whatever but they yeah, are I, I don't want them in the UK no they would not work here they would not work here but I, I remember we a bunch of us went to uh, Texas to do a tyre test um and I don't know, there were four or five of us, uh, and we had we just we got a Chevrolet Suburban hire car. Um, and actually, when you've got four or five blokes and some kit and all your luggage, they are fantastic because you can pile into the back, and you, even in the back seats, the the rearmost seats, you don't feel like you're riding in the squashed up in the back of some little European MPV. You're lounging out. You've got all the space in the world. Um, yeah and so for, there, for being a, driven around texas i i can't argue with them there is a big but and i and i say this as someone who within the last fortnight has spent three hours sitting in the back of a sub uh, yeah because i happened on. to be in one from san francisco down to monterey oh yeah um and you know what these cars are like i mean they're basically built on truck chassis yeah. so they're basically it's a ladder chassis with a body bolt bolted on top of them and they have live rear axles. yeah so they don't ride do they they're not luxurious well, actually, funny enough, you're in the front, and I kind of, I kind of said, I, I announced that I was not on the way back there, but I announced that I wasn't going in the back. Uh, if you're in the front, they're fine um, right. because you know you've got, I think, what are they on the front? They probably got wishbones or something. They were probably independent suspension. But if you're sat on the back of that out axle as it's jolting around, all the bumps on the freeway, yeah, that's not a lot of fun. Um, and they are also those sorts of cars. Um, actually, one of my 
most one of the road trips I remember most fondly was I drove a sub it was a really old one had a 7.4 litre V8 <laughs> in it from Fort Lauderdale up to Atlanta and beyond so up into the Carolinas um, in about 1992 um, and actually in that so just wandering up the interstate um, listening to local radio which I've always loved listening to to local radio and just sort of disappearing into the scenery and turning into sort of you know a local American lad in his sub which had done a bazillion mile I actually you know it fitted that world and that purpose so unbelievably well Mm. Um, and I would love to have gone on and on and on and driven it you know thousands of miles Um, so yeah fine but I have no interest in driving one over here no imagine trying to drive one through Bath or through central London yeah (sighs) Yeah. just horrendous mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What about the Nissan Z? The new one, the current one, the latest Z car. Oh, Z car. yeah, that's a good, cool, good call. So you can have a manual, 400 horsepower twin turbo V6, limited slip diff. Um, because of emissions, it, 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 it's never sold here. Um, it won't be sold here. But, yeah, I mean, these days we, we sort of lament. I suppose, actually, my M2 is a very similar kind of thing. Um, but there aren't that many cars like it on sale these days. So from that point of view, it is a shame that we don't get that Nissan over It's a here. shame because also, you know, those Z cars, so the 350 and the 370, I mean, they're not difficult cars to criticise. No. Um, but I've always liked them because they are honest and they yeah. get the important stuff right the engines are good the gearboxes are good the handling's well balanced they're just nice things to yeah, to drive um absolutely all sorts of limitations with you know living them and that sort of thing but i i can only imagine that the new one is is more of the same mm. it'll be a fraction of the price of a of a cayman mm. uh it won't be as good as a cayman but um yeah, I just think w- w- the world is a better place with those sorts of cars in it. Mm. And, it's, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I've never driven it, so maybe it's a, it's a rubbish car. I suspect it's not. I suspect it's quite good. And I suspect that for the kind of money that it would cost were it on sale over here, you'd think, actually, that's not a bad shot. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, totally agree. Um, we need to talk about K cars, don't we? We do. We'd like to, would you like to explain what a K car is? Okay. This is not a car powered by a Rover K-series no. engine. So these are built for the Japanese domestic market really they're designed for 
Japanese cities. JDMs. Yeah, they're designed for Japanese cities, and they're built to very, very particular, strict regulations. They're governing their size. Yeah. Um, they have to be very narrow, very short. They, what's the limit? 660 cc's. So tiny, yes. tiny little engines. Yeah. Um, and they, these things crawl all over Tokyo and other Japanese cities, don't they? They're everywhere. Yeah. We should um, we should have had Joe on this um, podcast. Yeah. So our contributor Joanna Fidalgo, um, she's um, a bit of a cake off hand to put it mildly, um, and she's had her Suzuki Cappuccino for quite a long time, despite the fact that it has not it has cost her not a small amount of money um, keeping it in nice condition, and she's just bought a Toyota Sarah. Yeah, although I don't think the Sarah is a K car. I'm sorry? I don't think it is. It's got a 1.5 litre engine. I think it's much oh. bigger. Yeah. But so... Well, okay. But it certainly wasn't... Okay, but it, but, but it qualifies for our purposes because it was never sold in yes, the UK. Yes, it does. It does. You're right. So, so I'm having it. You're right. Yeah. So, so it's, an, it's an honorary K car. It's on, it was on my list um, because it's... So we were talking to Joe about them at Bista Heritage, weren't we, um, last yeah. week. Apparently, so... They were built between 90 and 96, Japan only, 15,000 or so were built. Apparently 70-odd have been brought into the UK. Um, yeah. So there are a few knocking about, but they've got the, the butterfly doors, haven't they? Or whatever you want to call them. Oh, the gullwing doors, doors, actually. Yeah. yeah. And I was just reading about them this morning. Um, the inspiration for the McLaren F1's um, butterfly doors come from the Toyota Serra. This is from our friends at Car Magazine. Um, okay. Gordon Murray is quoted as saying, I drove past the Serra every day, eventually reborrowed one, and the design for the F1 started from there. Wow. So there you go. Wow. Well, that's, um, that's a good claim to fame, isn't it? We inspired the McLaren F1. That's not bad. It's not a bad legacy. No. Um, so I've, I've driven a Serra in Japan. Um, and it again, like? it's like I drove it in kind of quite heavy traffic through tokyo and yokohama uh, and again it's kind of like driving a suburban on the florida interstate it's just all about the environment mm-hmm. um and uh, the sarah worked really well at that i mean um yeah so i i like the way they looked and i, I just like the fact that these these small quite affordable but yet really characterful cars exist mm. Um, you know things like the Daihatsu Copen, Nissan Figaro. Obviously, the Cappuccino was sold over here. I'm not sure about the other ones, um, but yeah, there was some quite cool stuff. And the so if you go to Tokyo, you will see scores of tiny little K cars running around, and they're very. Most of them are very. So you've listed a few of the sportier ones, but most of them are very boxy, very upright. Really, they're family cars, aren't they? You're supposed, they're five-door yeah. cars. You're supposed to be able to get well, family you, in them. You, you, you can get vans and little yeah. trucks as yeah, well, little, can't Little you? dump trucks and all sorts. Yeah. yeah. They're brilliant. And talk it's about It's like sort of bonsai yeah. cars. Talk about fitness for purpose. Mm. In the middle of a packed city. Yeah. That's what you want to be in, probably. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, do you want to do some more? Yeah. Where else do you want to go? Okay. I've never driven one of these. But I'm just curious. For a long period of time... Uh, the way the taxation in Italy fell, mm. it simply wasn't I know what possible. You're say. It wasn't sensible to build cars with engines of more than two litres, which gave a company like Ferrari mm. a bit of a headache. So instead of 
a 308 GTB having a three liter naturally aspirated engine, they sleeved the engine down, mm. created what was at the time the world's smallest V8, a two liter V8. <laughs> Um, and they did it in naturally aspirated and turbocharged form. Oh, I didn't and know they my... did NA ones. God, yeah, yeah, yeah. how wheezy yeah, they were those? They, they about, had, had about 180 horsepower, so they were they, yeah. Yeah, they were probably pretty wheezy. Um, <laughs> but the I'm trying to remember who I spoke to who who has driven was probably I mean it may not be Harry, but it will be someone like Harry Metcalf has driven. I've spoken to someone who's driven a 208 turbo and said it's so much better than you think it's going to be. Really. Yeah, hmm. you'd think it would be horrible and laggy and everything else. And he said, it's not brilliant. It's probably not as nice as a 308, but it's pretty good. What's it have, sort of 250 horsepower or something? Yeah, it had almost, about, almost the same amount of horsepower. I mean, you know, obviously Ferrari weren't um, necessarily <laughs> entirely bang on with their horsepower claims back in the, mid, in the, in the, in the late 70s. Um, but it was, it, was, it, was an equi- it was an equivalent amount of power. But of course, it probably came with a shed load more torque. Mm, than the 308 mm, had mm. Um, so I think it was actually quite an effective device and I've never driven one and I'd really like to mm, that, is re- that is interesting I'd like to try the naturally aspirated one yeah tiny tiny little V8 <laughs> it's funny isn't well, it well I mean I think I think other than you know things that have been um, created by create by putting two four cylinder motorcycle engines together mm. I think it probably is still mm. the smallest V8 that has ever been created by a motor manufacturer. That's cool. That's very cool. Yes. Um, I, yeah. I've got just a couple of curios. Look, I've, got, I've got a curio. I'd never heard. I've, I, I, <laughs> go on. I'd never heard of this before. I didn't know that until I started researching it this morning. But the Mark One Toyota MR2. There was a supercharged version. There was. So it had 145 horsepower up from 122, the standard car. But that's. I mean, that must have weighed nothing. Uh, Good response, decent amount of power in a tiny little two-seater yeah. sports car. That's probably quite fun. I, I have no idea what those early MR2s were like. They were great. Were they? Oh, my goodness. The first, M- the first MR- MR2. Mm. So the first ever... I think I'm right. Oh, maybe I'm not right. I was about to say the first ever autocar handling day, Britain, Britain's best driver's car, as they call it these days, which was, I think, in 1989... I was about to say an MR2 won it. I'm now slightly nervous about that because an MX-5 might have won it. I can't remember what won it. But, it, but I know that an MR2 was there and it did unbelievably well. Mm. Those generation, those first generation cars with those gorgeous little twin cam engines mm. in them, they handled brilliantly. The only problem with them was that they had unassisted steering um, and they had a very big steering wheel and quite a slow rack. Um, other than that, they were, they were absolutely mega. I love those things. The, so the second generation MR2... It has a reputation yeah. for being a bit vicious, a bit yeah. spiteful, doesn't it? Yeah. So yeah. It, um, has that... Are you going to ask me yeah, well, has, whether, whether it was deserved? Has, has that done the MR2 as a whole a sort of disservice? Because no one ever talks about MR2s as being great driver's cars. Not really. Not like an MX-5 well, gen, or whatever okay, else. No, no. Well, okay. So the Gen 1 cars absolutely deserve to be thought of. As like that, actually, but, but in many ways, they're a much more sophisticated car than an MX-5. You know, they're mid-engine. Mm. Um, you know, they were. You know, they revved to seven, eight. I think. Mm. I mean, they really, really sang. Um, I would. Yeah, I'd rather have an MR2 than an MX-5 of the, mm. of the same era. I absolutely would. I absolutely would. Those those early MR2s. I guess they're really, really underrated, and I suppose the problem now. 
uh, is is finding a good one. I imagine that would be a very very difficult no, thing to do. Sure. I'm sure they've all just been been eaten away. Yeah. Because it, and the other thing about them was, although they had this. Okay, so I had. I won't tell you why, <laughs> um, but I had cause before I was ever a motoring journalist to drive one of these things to the south of France and back. Oh well, I, well yes, I was one of these stupid sort of slony scavenger hunts, which idiots um, used to do back then. Um, and I did it in one of those, and you know, we had a lot of fun getting down there. But when we had to come back, we just got on the motorway and drove back from the south of France to London in a day. Um, and I can just remember thinking it was it was really good, even at that. Mm decent sized boot in it um they do sound nice yeah quite comfortable um you know quite short geared so not the quietest things in the world but just like you know i think i think if you drove a really good one i think you would be amazed i think you come away and you think why are people not always talking about Mm. this why aren't people talking about these things with the same reverence that they talk about you know mx5s mm. and you know and, and that sort of thing um yeah, yeah. but yeah so the answer to your question is the just second generation cars definitely had a reputation for um for dodgy handling it wasn't as des- it wasn't as deserved as others would have you believe but they weren't easy mm. um so the first one you could just throw around and skid about and it was it was it was delightful the second ones did you, you could get to a point where if they went they stayed gone mm. um but they weren't anything like as difficult as as some made out i think there was also wasn't there a turbo version of yeah. that second generation car which never got sold over here yep yep because there was a standard car with an eight valve engine and there was like something like a gt which had a 16 valve engine and then there was a turbo which mm. had like 200 horsepower gosh that's probably um, quite quick wasn't it uh, yeah and i never drove it um mm. so i, I, I could not see your next question but um yeah <laughs> go on then but, give us i think we've got time for one more of yours unless you've got loads you want to rattle through um i don't i don't have loads i want to rattle through um i, I, I talk about this too often in this podcast but i'll say it again golf limited <laughs> yeah okay so was that germany only that car and i think it was germany only. i mean they made they, they, they made handfuls of them so uh, for anybody who wasn't listening to the last time i banged on about this <laughs> this was a series two a gen two golf okay and the thing is is that they made engines for golfs and carados some had 16 valves, some, some were supercharged. Um, they only ever made one engine which had 16 valve and was also supercharged, and they stuck it in this thing called the Golf Limited. And give you an idea of what it did, a Golf GTI of that era had, I think, 112 horsepower. Mm. This had 215. That is unbelievable, isn't it? Better still, and what was so utterly brilliant about the Limited was that you know whereas the golf gtis um came with the three-door shell and had the sort of the red piping around the grill mm. and four headlights and all this go faster stuff the golf limited was i mean it looked like a golf l five <laughs> door shell single headlights nothing on it yeah i think it had a little blue line around the grill just to take if anybody you who actually really really knew mm. okay you know fast car coming um and they were just brilliant they were i say they i only ever drove one i probably only drove it for a day but you know 30 something years it's still in there so it must have been pretty useful Mm. um and i don't think as i said i don't think that was a not only was it not sold in the uk i don't think it was sold anywhere other than in germany um so yeah um and we promise not to talk about it for another three weeks okay can i do one we've never talked about go on 
And actually, I've never driven one of these. And oh my goodness, <laughs> I want to drive one of these. Yes. If I say to you 333i, <laughs> I, I saw, I read about one this morning, a South Did African you? special. The South African yeah. six cylinder E30 M3. Yeah. Yeah. With input from Alpina, I think. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, um, I haven't but, researched but it made, fully. But, but they made so it had, but it, you know, it was basically it was the same sort of power as a, as, a, as an E30 M3. I think it had sort of 200 horsepower, mm. but it did it with a 3.2 liter straight six mm. rather than a 2.3 liter straight four, and they only made 200. I guess if they're South African built, they would all be right hand drive. Yeah. Oh, that well, does sound cool. Is, okay, if anybody knows about one of these things and one that might be in the UK, please, please, please <laughs> let us know. I want to have a. I mean, wouldn't that be great? Yeah. We could borrow. We could borrow BMW's E30 M3. Yeah. Oh, cool. That's a story, isn't it? I wonder if there's a single one in the UK. If there is, we need to go and hunt it down, don't we? Someone must have brought one over. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Everybody listening to this, find me a 333i. Yes. Get everyone get on it. Get on social media, whatever it takes. Get on the forums. Um, well, okay. 333i. Okay. We'll, that's your last one then. We'll leave it there. I think, I think I'm done. I think, oh, God, we have missed out on some great cars in the UK. Also some terrible ones. Um, so we'll leave it there. And before we do the listener question, um, I, I'm just going to remind you all to follow the podcast or subscribe to the podcast, whatever app you're using. Please just do that for us because it means that we can find a bigger audience. It also means you don't miss a single episode. Um, and the more, the bigger the audience gets, the more and more we can do with this podcast. It just gets better. So please just hit the follow button or the subscribe button. Right now, the listener question, it was asked to me in person at Bista Heritage on Sunday. Um, and I, t- I didn't catch the chap's name, I'm sorry. But I remembered your question. He's got a Cayman R. Um, yep. And he wants to know if he should swap into a first-gen Cayman GT4. Um, it's a fun car, but he does big trips. Um, so it's not a daily. Um, now, th- these things are always so hard to answer. So he does, he, does, he does big trips in other cars? So it's, a, no, 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 it's, it's purely recreational. It's a recreational car, but he does big trips in it, in it yeah. Yeah, um, it's always hard to answer these questions because these things are so personal. But we, you can only offer your point of view. Would you, I guess, putting money to one side, would you rather have for fun and for high days a Cayman R or a Cayman GT4? God, that's so difficult. Yeah, because I think the Cayman R, it might be the most underrated Porsche of modern times. Because mm. it's, you know, I just don't think most people. I think there'll be people listening to this and go, "Oh, just to remind me, what's a Cayman R?" Mm. Um, but then again, a GT4 is just, it's just that bit more, isn't it? It's just that bit more of, frankly, everything. Mm. Um, and those first generation cars would actually be pretty good. I mean, you're also, you're also not talking about uh, a like for like amount of money, are you? Not quite. Um, yeah. So I think my answer is, you know, if money isn't a big determinant probably the gt4 but i wouldn't want anyone to think that i was dissing the mm. cayman r um because of it because it's not because i think cayman r's are absolutely brilliant cars yeah i've never driven a cayman r um maybe i need to put that right but i have it back in the particularly the face of cars from 2009 um 2008 2009 i think the cayman s such a gorgeous thing to drive mm. and yeah. it's, i mean they're getting on now aren't they almost 15 years old now so probably they feel a bit leggy some of those cars um, but if you can find a good Cayman R, I bet it is a gorgeous thing because the, yeah. the S was lovely in itself. I mean, for the money, I might even have a Cayman R. 
Um, mm. And certainly for the money for as as a recreation, I probably would. But as I say, if if, if the money's not important and you need to do a big distance, I'd probably go for a GT4, but not by much. Mm. So thank you. Please keep um, your listener questions coming. We like ending the podcast that way. You can either tweet us or you can send us a direct message on Instagram um, or you can email us, info at the-intercooler.com. If you come up with a good question, we'll answer it. And we will do so again next week. Bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.